And I think that they are one player away. Now, when people hear that that saying they're one player away, you may think like, you know, they're one more superstar away. They need one more, you know, big impact guy, this and that. But when I when I say they're one player away, I mean, I, they are one solid bench score away from being a title contender. So... Opulent Inventory, our proud partners here on the show. Now you can finally have the Apple product times the Apple guys. That's right, from AirPods to iPhones to MacBooks to Apple Watches to trade-ins and much more. Now you can have the Apple product of your dreams. Promo code podcast gets you 20% off. That's right, 20% off on any Apple item. Visit Opulent Inventory, Nash and Guardi, those are great guys on all social media platforms, and on Instagram. Now, let's head back to the show. We are back here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show this evening. Inside the studio Z, inside WNSC Radio, myself and my ride partner, Michael Gray. Yes, sir. Yes, the sir. The DMV area. What's going on, my man? Nothing much, man. Peace and love. Grand rising, man. Everything's good over here. How about you, man? And we're doing good. We're doing good. Obviously, we're trying to, you know, see if uh, this Hurricane Isis, I believe, is... Uh, going to be pushing more towards the Atlantic Ocean and in the coast and not hitting our borders. But we've got faith and uh, we've got the Lord and we should be good, my man. Yeah, it sounds good, man. It's doing a little raining up here too. Huh? It's not as crazy as a hurricane. We haven't had any warnings, but it's, it's definitely raining out there. Yeah, safe, safe, safe prayers to everybody out there. Safe prayer for everybody as well. And also for the invisible monster that is the coronavirus as well. That is going on worldwide and not only domestically in the U.S. Um, obviously, that's hurt a lot of the sporting events and ball clubs, especially in the majors. Um, so we wish nothing but the best for all our listeners and their families as well. Um, as well, Mike, uh, a fun-filled, packed action episode today. We've got a great one again for you, Mike. Uh, but before we do that in our featured guest today, let's go ahead and talk on the biggest news. And we'll start off with the NBA and what we start off. Obviously, we've had almost about a week of restart action from the National Basketball Association. We saw some great games, a lot of tight games, Mike, and, and, and stuff. And I don't know if you noticed this, but this restart kind of reminds me of like a March Madness atmosphere where there's no fans, but it's a tournament, all neutral games. Nobody has home court. Nobody feels at a disadvantage of some sort. And and I just feel like right now, you know, you've got your your top dogs like your Kansases, like your Lakers, your Bucks and stuff. But you've got your Cinderellas and the small teams like the Rockets. You've got the Denver Nuggets. It kind of feels that way for me in, in a weird, unique way. What do you think about that, Mike? 
Yeah, I, I can definitely see the resemblance in that too. It almost gives me an AAU vibes as well. The, you know, those young times going to see the the young AAU kids coming up and playing, and you hear everything on the court. You hear the 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 the, the, the sideline uh, amping up everybody. You hear a little bit of the crowd, a small bit of the crowd. That, that's exactly what it reminds me of in a smaller gym setting. It's, it's definitely a dope feeling just with some of the best players and the best competition in the world as far as basketball is concerned. And I, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it, but I definitely see the comparison in the two. Yeah, definitely as well. Some teams that's caught your eye this week, Mike. I know one of them is the Houston Rockets, um, the quote-unquote Cinderella. Obviously, they're not favorites of any sort, but we've mentioned in previous uh, episodes as well, this is the team that can blow this thing o- open. And Mike, boy, the, has the D'Antoni style done their job? Obviously, they're getting out-rebounded and pounded on the glass. But when you can play defense and be stymie and switch everything because you're small, and when you can hit sh- perimeter shots, it bodes well for you. It absolutely does, and that's the thing. You know, the Rockets are, are are handicapped defensively in the paint as far as, you know, that's concerned against certain skilled players and things of that nature that can really get busy in the paint. But as far as that's concerned, offensively, if they're hitting shots, like I'm saying, they they it's, it, it almost doesn't matter because you have to outscore them. And that's that's tough to do on any given night because of how lethal they are on, on the offensive side of the ball. They, they shoot. It seems like they are shooting attempt more threes than every anybody else. They're, they're knocking them down at a very high clip. And but one thing I noticed, about, especially in that game against the Milwaukee Bucks the other day, I noticed that they knocked down free throws at a very uh, big-time rate, and they knocked down some crucial free throws in the fourth quarter that was able to seal that game for them. So that, that that's that's key for me as well. You know, not only being able to play defense, and James Harden really stepped up and uh, took the assignment in the last six minutes and last few minutes of that game. And took on Giannis and really impressed me with some of the defensive uh, moves that he made. So it, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, yes, they have a liability against certain matchups and certain teams. But depending on the matchups and who they have to go up against, I'm telling you right now, man, this Rockets team is scary and a threat to beat anybody because of how lethal they are on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, as well, they do shoot free throws at a very high clip. And I agree with you, Mike, none of these L.A. teams, whether that be the Lakers and Clippers, on their road, potentially for a deep postseason run, want to face these Rockets here for sure. Let's stay in the Western Conference. Uh, the Denver Nuggets got a, picked up a huge win last night against the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, who's also <laughs> been very impressive as well in their first outing. Um, but it got tight, and MPJ and Jokic went off, especially in OT. I think Denver, when they get their healthy players back, we're talking Barton, we're talking Jamal Murray and others. I think this is another team opposite of the Rockets that we need to pay attention to. We have to because you got to understand this is a young uh, up-and-coming team that is full of depth. The the only issue that the Denver Nuggets had last year getting to the playoffs and losing in Game 7 to the Portland Trailblazers was their lack of experience, their lack of being there in that moment with that young core. The fact that they went through what they went through last year, losing a Game 7 at home, coming back this year, uh, looking to avenge that loss and looking to avenge this season, you see the young players continue to emerge, and you got guys like Michael Porter Jr. starting to come into his own, who had a monster night yesterday, 37 and 10. The first play, first Nugget player rookie to have 30, 35 and 10 since Carmelo Anthony. I mean, you got to like look at what uh, Nikola Jokic was able to do. On top of the fact of what Bo Bo can do, this is a scary team, and with the experience they had last year losing in the playoffs. You never know what their confidence is going into this year and how motivated and hungry they are to knock off some of the top teams. So you're right, Denver is another one of those scary teams. Because of their depth, they can always continue to rotate nice pieces in. Yeah, definitely as well. Great contributions from Monte Moore, 17 in that second half. Don't look out. And when you're in the same breath as Carmelo Anthony, 
you know you're probably doing something class. That's elite class to be mentioned on. Let's go towards the Eastern Conference. And Mike, and um, I think we mentioned that in the last episode as well, the Toronto yes. Raptors, the defending yes, champions. Everybody's saying that, rightfully so, Kawhi Leonard was the reason why we won that title, but it wasn't all the reason. And oh, I yeah. think they have a chip on their shoulders, Mike. You got guys like Fred Van Vliet, who's in a – also um, guys like uh, Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry. We see what they did against the Lakers. 11 straight, Mike, dating to 2014 against the Los Angeles Lakers. And then they pulled out a tight one against Miami yesterday. I think the defending champions are right there when you talk about the supremacy and the big teams in the NBA. No, you're absolutely right. And one of the scariest things that that, that, that you can have in a, in a team is, a, is a, cha- a team coming off a championship that's motivated and hungry and uh, uh, feels like they're the underdog. And it kind of reminds me of the Golden State Warriors after their first championship. You saw how motivated they were after people were saying, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't really earn that championship. It wasn't, you know, as hard as it could have been with the injuries to, clear, to certain teams. And then they came back the next year. They had the best record in the NBA ever. So it's one of those situations where the scariest team, in my opinion, is always the championship team that comes into the next season as an underdog and is overlooked because that team already has that championship experience and that experience of going through all the adverse situations they have to go through. And now all of a sudden they feel like they're the underdog. They feel like they're – no, this team has something to prove. And one of the things that I love about this Toronto Raptors team is like it's almost like a who's next. It's not It's not a one superstar, one person continuously dominating the game. You could have Kyle Lowry go for 33-10-6 like he did against the Lakers. And then you have Fred Van Vliet go for 33 last night with seven threes. Pascal Siakam could go off for a game. Uh, it's, it's so many different players. Marcus, so you never know. It's so many. They have so many different players. It's like they take their turns. Whoever's hot that night is going off for them, and they know how to play as a cohesive unit together. And that's the scariest thing about this Toronto team is that any on any given night, any one of their uh, big time players can go off for you and give you a, have a big night for you. And the, the, with their leadership and with the length of this team, uh, they really give other teams problems and some of the top teams problems. And uh, they're, they're a great matchup for any of the top uh, three teams in the Eastern Conference. And they're definitely a scary threat to come out. Yes, a very scary threat to come out of the Eastern Conference. You're a loaded Eastern Conference that's pretty much wide open uh, for sure. And another big slate of games today, we've got the Celtics in Miami. That's a huge one. Boston is two and a half games up on that three seed. And also the Blazers and the Rockets on the nightcap. We'll see if Dame Dollar can get his desperate Blazers, Mike, into the postseason um, here for sure. Other big news in the NBA, Mike, um, it's quite a bit funny. Uh, the MC, J. Cole, is actually training to potentially get in game shape and in top shape to make a run at an NBA roster. What do you make of that? I don't know what to make of it. I, I, on one end, I, um, you know, I, I applaud, you know, J. Cole for wanting to chase his dreams and things of that nature, but – I don't know. Is I actually haven't heard J. Cole come out and say this. Is this actually true? Yeah, this is actually true. In fact, um, you know, the Pistons, <laughs> the Detroit Pistons, they already offered him a jersey. So I'm not sure what if if this is like he's really going for it, but he looks like he's really swinging at it, man. Yeah, it definitely looks like he is, and uh, you know he's he's definitely capitalizing off of you know the, the his celebrity status and things of that nature. Yeah, I don't know. It just feels kind of weird because of all the people that you know what some of these young basketball players have to go through to get to the NBA, and you know we have this guy J Cole, who's you know one of my favorite artists of all time right now. He's he's the best in the game as far as I'm concerned, as far as the MCs, but. 
on the court as far as this concerned, this it doesn't it doesn't seem right because of the route that I've seen a lot of players have to go through to get to the NBA. You know, yeah. you see what I'm saying? So it, it, it's just it just rubs me a little bit wrong, a little different. Yeah, well, I think of J. Cole, obviously, he's one of my favorite rappers of all time, oh, yeah, too. Easily. And definitely in my top five easily. all time. But uh, I I don't know. I, I know the brother's a legit 6'3". He could shoot. But it it takes more than just being height and can exactly. shoot to make it to the league. Um, so, hey, we didn't wish nothing but the best to Cole World. But of course, it's, 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 it's going to be pretty tough for him, too. Um, let's talk about a guy that you dearly love so much in Kyrie Irving. What yeah. he's done right now for the NBA, obviously being in um, the role that he is for the NBA PA opposite of Chris Paul, being the vice president, not being able to play for his Brooklyn Nets right now, um, as they look to potentially stamp their ticket to the postseason in the Eastern Conference. But he's been making a lot of noise, Mike, off the court. And and uh, and I know that's something that's really uh, happy for you. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, Kyrie has definitely uh, grown uh, during this pandemic and really made a lot of moves, uh, th- especially during this all during during this time of, uh, you know, donating donating to inner cities and you know uh, donating masks and uh, working on this documentary for Breonna Taylor. I mean, you name it, man. The brother, what he did with the WNBA, uh, sending one point five million to them to the players that didn't play this. Uh, during the season, it's it's special what I'm seeing him do. I'm seeing him mature as a person. I'm seeing him mature mentally, spiritually as a man. And you know, obviously, we know how lethal he is on the court. He's my favorite player on the court. But as far as you know, what he's doing off the court, he's really growing and and sharpening himself, and really um you know taking action. Everything to everything that he was saying earlier, you know, he, he's he's under the tutelage of Rock Nation. So I know Jay Z has a lot of influence in him. Jay Z said it best. At the, end of, at the end of the day, we just got to do the work. Jay Z's got to have some influence in that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, he Jay Z said it best. At the end of the day, we just got to do the work, and people can talk and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, we got to do the work. We wake up every day and do the work. Continue to to put forth our due diligence to make sure that that we're, we're striving to better our communities and things of that nature. And that's what Kyrie's doing. He's not talking in the media as much. He's not doing this, that, and the third. He's just out there doing the work. He's letting the work speak for himself. And I love that about Kyrie Irving tonight. And because because of that, you know, he continues to evolve as a person. I, I, that trickles down to the court, and I can't wait to see what he does on the court next season. Yeah, we can't wait for Kyrie Irving and also Kevin Durant. That tandem, we can't wait for that, Mike. Oh, yeah. Um, to see what they are in a Brooklyn Nets uniform and that silver and black and that black and white up there in one of the biggest boroughs in New York, of course. Here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, you don't know who we will have next. But our next guest, we focus on the Boston Celtics as we have Dante Turo, our featured guest tonight. Discussing everything Celtics as they look to raise their 18th banner in franchise history. The Sebi Podcast Radio Show, live inside the studios of WNSC. We are back here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, brought to you live inside of our Studio Z. As promised, our featured guest tonight, Boston Celtics beat writer Dante Turo, 
also uh, with your own podcast, right? Chasing Banners um, as well um, with your uh, co-host as well. I can't forget, remember the young gentleman's name, but we're pleased to have you on the show, Dante. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, that podcast, Chasing Banners, I have uh, Ryan Sheehan. Uh, he's one of my good friends from back home. We do that together. And uh, yeah, we just started getting into the podcast game. So we're probably not as experienced as you guys, but we're uh, we're getting better as it goes on. Hey, it's you always got to start somewhere there for sure. Recent graduate of Quinnipiac. Uh, talk to us about that. Yeah, man. So I just graduated uh, class of 2020. Well, quote unquote graduated i didn't actually have a graduation because of you know everything that's going on remote but remotely yeah. remote uh, remote graduation yeah they're promising us a real one but we'll, we'll see if that happens um but yeah i studied journalism for four years uh graduated with my bachelor's degree in that mired in sociology um you know i went to school for journalism i've always been a writer i've had my own sports blog since high school and i've always i've always loved doing that i still do but it was during my college years, probably my freshman years, when I started up my Twitter account, uh, Dante on Deck. And, you know, just I started doing that for basketball related, you know, content. Then it turned into a Celtics page. And it wasn't really like a, I would never show my face or anything like that. It was just kind of like, I'd say probably more of a fan account at that point, just like a Celtics fan account. And then, you know, it just kind of kept growing in popularity. Uh, right now, I have over 30,000 followers, I think, by the time I hit like 20. I was like, okay, I'm going to start to turn this into my own platform. So then I did like a face reveal. I started, uh, you know, talking as me, the person, and not just uh, a Celtics fan or a basketball fan. So I've kind of taken off with that. And now, you know, by doing this, I've found my love for social media and, uh, you know, media content, making videos, podcasting, uh, you know, still writing articles and stuff, but using this. Um, my Twitter as a platform to put all that out. And I've, along the way, I've come to meet a lot of great people. I've been on a lot of podcasts. I've interacted with a ton of fans, uh, interacted with a ton of uh, non-fans as well. But it's always great to have arguments and discussions with people that aren't uh, fans of the same team as you. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, no, it's just, you know, now that I'm out of college, I'm just kind of, you know, it's tough looking for jobs right now with everything going on, especially in the sports media world. So I'm just kind of playing it, uh, playing it slow, being patient with everything and just seeing where, uh, seeing where life takes me. Uh, and this man is good. Everybody, this man <laughs> is really good. I've taken a look at Thank his work. You. Um, I would say Bucky Brooks, step aside the NFL, uh, or Ramona <laughs> Shelburne, you, you might be competing for a, <laughs> a journalism job. Dante is good, especially with this, I appreciate uh, with this stuff on Dante on deck. I, I've got a chance to check that out. Um, and there for sure. So this is a team, obviously, you know, being a fan as well and 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 you being an enthusiast in writing that you've basically kind of followed through for a while. You're also part of Marcus Smart's uh, club as well. Talk to us a little bit about that, too. Uh, yeah, so I am I am a proud member of the Marcus Smart fan club. I have been so since he was drafted uh, by the team a few years ago. He was kind of drafted in a time where uh, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty with the team. They just got rid of Paul Pierce and Garnett. That was their uh, that was their draft pick the next year. And I remember he went sixth overall. And I remember um, the there was a man named Dante Exum that went mm. one pick before. And I was like, oh, that would be so cool if we got Dante Exum, you know, because we both have the same name. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can be a, a big Dante fan, all this stuff. Uh, but we took Marcus Smart. I kind of knew about him. 
in college. The only thing I really knew about him was when he went into the crowd and uh, shoved that fan that was talking a lot of smack yeah. to him during one game. Right. So I was like, okay, like, all right, I, I like this guy. I like, you know, what he represents, his toughness and everything. Like, he doesn't take anything from from anyone. So it's like, okay, cool. We'll see what happens. And, uh, you know, since he's been involved, that guy for me, like, he was – I'm not uh, – I am not someone that buys a lot of Celtics jerseys simply because when I was uh, – uh, you know, back in the day, a few years ago, Danny Ainge was kind of on uh, a trading spree where he would just like get guys and he'd trade them like within the year or something like that, or within a few years. And it's like, but you'd, you'd spend so much money on a jersey, and they would just be gone. So it's like that was just a waste of money. But Marcus Smart was actually the very first Boston Celtic jersey I bought, and it's still hanging up on my wall. Him and Isaiah Thomas actually, both those jerseys are still hanging up on my wall. Two of my favorite uh, Celtics. But Marcus Smart just, you know, it's like every year, you know, he didn't start off like great. I mean, he's always been a, a great defender, but it's like every year he's just improved in some way or the other. And this year he's just been like, you know, well, the past few years, but this year especially, he's just been such a backbone to the team. And he's always been such a leader and just, you know, people talk about wanting to trade him for someone or like getting rid of him for you know, whatever, another bench piece, another starter, whatever it may be. And I'm just like, you know, if you want to be a championship contender, you want to be someone that competes for titles every year. You need to have someone like Marcus Smart on your team because he just brings something to the table that you you just can't teach it. It's just he has such a big heart. Um, just the way he plays on defense, lays his body out, diving for loose balls, just, you know. Everything that he does on both defensive and offensive, he's gotten a lot better at uh, shooting threes this year as well. So that's something that definitely uh, that definitely elevates his game. But you know, I'm just a I'm a big Marcus Smart guy, and I'll I'll defend him. Uh, I'll defend him until until the day he's no longer wearing a Celtics uniform. Even then, I'd still probably go to bat for him. But no, I'm I'm a proud member of the Marcus Smart fan club, and for good You're reason. Obviously, um, candidate for Defensive Player of the Year for sure. We got to get back to those days, right? Michael Jordan in 88, uh, the glove and, and Gary Payton in 96. And we haven't had a guard since when that uh, prestigious award. So we got to get back to that uh, for sure. Uh, Dante Turo on the Sebi Podcast radio show. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, Dante, welcome welcome to the show. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming on. Um, we, we talked a lot about Marcus Smart and, and for good reason. Well, you, like you said, he's elevated his game tremendously. And offensively, man, oh, man, the strides that he's made over the last three years has been incredible. I, I, um, I, 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 uh, excuse me. I know you've seen it, but talk to me about the emergence of these young two, these these two young guys, and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and what you've seen from them as compared to what you saw from them last year. Oh my gosh, man! I mean, you know, it's kind of like you expected to see what you saw from Jason Tatum. Okay, well, maybe not in the sense and the way it happened, how quickly it happened. Yeah. You know, with everything that happened last year, you know, Tatum kind of. He was the second option, kind of taking the back seat to Kyrie Irving when he should have kind of, you know, made bigger steps towards his progression. Didn't really do much with it. Um, only improved slightly, like with his averages and stuff. I mean, with the eye test, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, how much improvement did he really make? Right. And then with Jalen Brown, you know, he struggled. I mean, he just didn't really mesh with the starting lineup, didn't really mesh with Kyrie. Uh got demoted to the bench, came off the bench for a while. But even then, like, you know, he accepted his roles. He did what he had to do. And you have to, you know, respect the fact that, you know, he didn't speak out or anything. He just did his thing or whatever. And then Kyrie leaves. And that was kind of when him and 
Al Horford left, that was kind of the tell that they're going like full full in, like they're just going in with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Like that's who they're gonna push with going uh, going into the future. That's who they're gonna be rolling with. And you know, Jason made his jump. Like if you want to call it a jump, you can. You could call it an emergence into being coming uh, one of the best NBA players. I I thought something like this would have happened, you know, at least within the next two years, year after this. Um, but, you know, just the way it happened, just so quickly. Uh, Kemba Walker went down. He had an injury. He was dealing with a knee injury since January. And since then, Jace Tatum, I mean, he's been good all year, but the second half of the year just kind of was just something unlike anything we've really ever seen before as far as, you know, someone taking that, that next step, him averaging, you know, 30 points a game, making the all-star team, uh, putting up, uh, averaging 50% from the field, almost 50% from three, just putting up insane numbers, dropping 40 points against uh, the two LA teams or close to 40 points against both the LA teams, Right. stepping up in big games, like the, the Paul George drop and setback three, like plays yeah. like that, man, just like put him on the map. And then you got Jalen Brown and it's just like, I personally thought, a year like this would come for him because he signed his extension a few days before the first game against Philly. And everyone was just like overpaid. Right. He's not worth the money, this and that. And I was like, listen, like, yeah. I get where you're coming from. Like he had an off year, but at the same time, it's like, if Tobias Harris can get 158, I think it's okay. for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, there are players that are getting worse contracts and plus like, you know, the, the situation, the circumstances this year are going to be much different. Like he's going to be a starter. He's going to be a, a focal point in the offense. Yeah, they got Kemba, who's, you know, an over 20-point-per-game score like we like we all know he is. But Jalen Brown is going to be a much bigger part of the offense. And day one, you know, against Philly, he had an off game. Well, not off game, but he had five fouls uh, early on. So he, we really didn't see much from him. But then from that point on, he was just – he's just been, you know, foot on the gas, not letting go, just full throttle. And I personally think that he's been the most consistent player for the Celtics just from day one. He's just some, been someone that stepped up. He's improved so much and in more than one way, like his handles, his shot, his ability to finish at the rim with his left hand, yeah. um, just being able to get by guys. Like you have Jason Tatum, you talk about him making his jump, and that that's more than fair. But I think people have to remember or consider that Jalen Brown had – you know, arguably just as big of a jump, just being like compared to last year, all the adversity he's had to go through, you know, with with being benched last year and people being on him because of his contract extension. Like he had, he had a lot of weight on his shoulders coming into this year. He had a, he had a lot more to prove than I think uh, Tatum would have. And Jalen Brown handled all the pressure. He handled it so well. As soon as he cut his hair, he, sh- he cut off his flat top. I was like, wow, like this is it. Like he's really going to go for it this year. And, uh, you know, but both those guys, the playoffs a few years ago, um, when it was just those two basically in the charge, they had Rosier and Horford, and they made it to game seven. Everyone was like one of the best young duos in the NBA. And then last year happened, and then people just kind of forgot about that. People just stopped talking about it. And now this year, you know, they're back to showing us why they are one of the best young duos, if not the best young duo in the NBA. I can't really think of many duos that would be better than them. But, you know, just we're very lucky as Celtics fans to have them on our team. Uh, Jalen Brown signed his extension this past offseason, obviously, and Tatum's next up. So we'll have them uh, we'll have them sign for for a few more years long term. 
And, you know, I they love playing together. Obviously, Celtics fans love them together. I think that this is something that could last a while past this contract. I feel like these are two players that, you know, fire and ice. They mesh so well. They Their games complement each other. They have no egos. They, they fight for each other. They The team that they have around them is so complimentary towards them and how they play. I think this is something that can, can you know, they can stick around in Boston for a long time. And I, as long as they're in Celtics uniforms, I am going to be, uh, I'm going to be their biggest fans. Yeah. Uh, I saw a stat. The, the, the Celtics are now 13-0 and when Jalen Brown scores 25 or more. Um, which he did this past Sunday against the Blazers. But you're right, man. This fire and ice combo between Tatum and Brown is huge. I, I was thinking about it, right? Duos 25 and under. Only guy I can think of is maybe Porzingis and Luka uh, that could uh-huh. basically contend for that title. But, yeah, I, I got to agree with you. The, the the Celtics are set up. I think they're in, in great contention as one of the best, if not the best, young duos in the NBA. Uh, but I'm not here to do that. You know what I'm saying, Dante? <laughs> I'm here to talk about my beloved Celtics. All right. I believe mm-hmm. you. Uh-huh. All right. Now you got to tell me the inside scoop. I-, I see you with Tommy Eisen and those in those guys in the broadcast. So you must know the inside scoop. What does my beloved Celtics need to do for us to raise our 18th banner? What we got to do, my man. You know better than I do. Tell us what we got to do. All right. Well, here's the thing. I-, I When I look at the Celtics roster, I see a team that, they're an Eastern Conference contender right now. I think that they can compete with any team in the league. I'm not trying to 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 change that narrative. I think they can beat they've beaten the Lakers, they've beaten the Clippers, they've beaten the Bucks, they've beaten all these top teams. The only top team that they haven't beaten is Houston and they lost by one in overtime. But that was a that was a different game. That was when Jalen hit the three to send it to overtime, uh, which was absolutely electric. But besides the point, uh they beat in every top team. They can stand toe to toe with the best teams in the league. Personally, I think this year the Lakers are going to win it just because, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis especially. I mean, last night he had 40, 42 points. Just he's on another level. Uh, LeBron James is on, you know, he's on a mission to win another championship, bring a, bring a banner to Los Angeles. And, you know, once everything happened with Kobe Bryant, like one of the first things I thought was, okay, the Lakers are just going to, they're going to win it this year. Like they're going to be on a whole nother level. Like they're going to use that as extra motivation to bring a championship to LA for Kobe. And I, they're, they've been my team uh, to beat for the past few months, but regardless, going back to the Celtics, I see them as an Eastern conference contender. And I think that they are one player away. Now, when people hear that, that saying they're one player away, you might think like, you know, they're one, more superstar away. They need one more, you know, big impact guy, this and that. But when I, when I say they're one player away, I mean, I, they are one solid bench score away from being a title contender. So the Celtics, you are, obviously you have your, your Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Tatum Hayward, and you're starting and you're starting five and Daniel Tice, but you got four guys averaging over 17 points a game three guys averaging over 20 points per game. And, you know, the bench kind of had, higher expectations going into this year, especially, you know, they got Carson Edwards who, you know, I personally thought he would be a better than he was, be more of a guy that can score more off the bench. Romeo Langford, I think will become a solid bench piece moving forward. Um, he was just injured for a lot of the year. Grant Williams was known more for his defense and what he does, um, you know, as a hustle player, didn't really impact the game too much on offense. 
his three-point shot. He shot like 30, 37% in college when he was at Tennessee, and he went like 0 for 30 to start the year shooting threes. So his shot, uh, it took a while for him to get it down. He's still really not the best of shooters. Um, and then you got Marcus Smart coming off the bench. But since the Celtics had so many injuries this year, Marcus Smart had to start a lot of games, and that really you know depleted the bench in a lot of ways. Um, so the Celtics bench really was their downfall this year. Like you could consider Boston, you could say Boston is the best starting five in the NBA, which you can make a very solid argument for that. Um, but they, the one thing that holds them back, they don't have the best roster in the NBA because their bench is just not that great. Mm. If the Celtics could get someone that comes off the bench and can put up 15, 16 points, can shoot the three ball, you can kind of throw them in there with the starters or even just throw them into lineups when you need, when you need shots up, you need buckets. That's who they need. I, He was a trade target this past trade deadline, but obviously didn't work out. Someone like Davis Bertans on the Wizards, I thought, would have been just so perfect right. for the team. Mike, you know all about um, him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's lethal. He's, he's the real deal. They, he's one of the best shooters in the league. He averages around 15, 16 points a game. Uh, Danny Ainge, I heard that, you know, he was going for a few first-round picks. It probably would have taken two firsts and uh, – some a filler player to get it done. And I don't think Danny Ainge wanted to do that because he will be a free agent this offseason. He will be looking for um, a big, uh, a decent sized contract. I mean, he's not in the bubble right now playing for Washington because he doesn't want to risk getting injured and, uh, you know, jeopardizing that contract, which I don't blame at all, especially, you know, he's just on the Wizards. <laughs> and they're not really, uh, it doesn't seem like they're going to be competing for much this year. Um, but, you know, even other guys, like I, I made a list of free agents that the Celtics should target. And I'm thinking guys like, you know, maybe like Joe Harris on the Nets. Right. He's going to be a free agent. Why not give him a look? He, yeah, I mean, he, he is one of the best shooters in the league as well, just like I mentioned, um, just like I mentioned Davis Bertans being. You, how about a guy like, I mean, free? I'm talking about free agents, but going after guys like someone like J.J. Reddick coming off the bench. Like that would be. I've, I've been watching J.J. Redick play for a while, and I'm just like, I would love someone like him on the Celtics. Like, he is just so lethal, um, great player. And another guy I, I also would like is Christian Wood. He is on mm, the Detroit yes. Pistons. He'll be a free agent. Uh, after Andre Drummond got traded, he was averaging 22 points and 10 rebounds a game, shooting 54% from the field and 37% from three. Uh, he's going to be a free agent this offseason. It would be stupid of the Pistons not to bring him back. I'm sure he was going to be going after a, a decent-sized contract. But you know what? Like, if the Celtics make a few moves um, and they kind of clear out that bench, kind of fill it in with some veterans, so lo- some low-contract guys, um, keep their rookies around, and then go after a big name, bigger name like him, I mean, that someone like that would be perfect. And, you know, a lot of fans also believe that the Celtics should go after another big man. I personally think that, you know, the, the Tice, Cantor, Robert Williams trio, I think they can they can get it done. Would I want to upgrade? Yeah, I do. But I think that it should be – the Celtics should be focused on something other than getting another big man. Like Robert Williams, he has so much promise. He has so much potential to his name. Just the guy can – per 36, he averages like five or six blocks a game. Like he just – he runs the court. He's quick, defends the rim. Uh, he's all over the place. Yeah, just – He's the only thing about him is he can't. He's been hurt a lot. He's very raw. He has a lot to learn, but it's like if he reaches that potential, if he keeps continues to develop, continues to learn, uh, and grow with this team, 
he can be someone that, you know, he could be starting. I mean, he could start alongside Tatum and Brown. I mean, I think he'd be perfect to, to run with them in the starting lineup. It's just a fact, a matter of him staying healthy, him just, you know, figuring his uh, figuring it out. So I don't think that the big man need is the biggest concern right now. I just think it's the fact that the Celtics need another solid score slash shooter off the bench. And if they get someone like that, I think that'll take them to the next level and that they'll be on that that uh, title contending tier alongside, you know, the two LA teams and Milwaukee. That, that's a great list. Maybe Danny Ainge might need you to be one of his associates. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm a, like I said, I'm, I'm a free agent. I'm looking for a job. If he needs, if he, if he needs a right-hand man, I'm, I'm available. Yeah. That's, that's a great uh, thing that you said, because I, I also saw you mention Jared Allen as a potential guy from the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. That would be good inside. Yes. Uh, but you, you know, what's crazy Dante is uh, I was thinking about, a guy like that kind of off the bench that we could need. And he was available and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and just sitting at home. And that was Jamal Crawford. Obviously he's not the shooter that, you know, Bertans and Joe Harris is, but it's a guy that, you know, at any given moment can explode like a volcano for 40, 50. We just need him to come in, give us some great 15, 20 minutes. If you can get up uh, a couple of like shots and maybe score 15 or 16 for us off the bench. That would have been ideal. He goes to Brooklyn in a pretty bad situation, but I thought Jamal Crawford could have been that guy just sitting at home and we could have got him for the veterans minimum or or, or at a really good good value, and he could have brought a lot of value for us off the bench. Um, And and I know that's a guy that you really like as well, Mike. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know I I love that brother. He's he's, he's one of the biggest – Biggest sharpshooters in the league. Um, but Dante, I wanted to get back to one of your points. Um, you know, I, I hear everything you're saying about, you know, the need for a big man and things of that nature and how Robert Williams can ex- uh, continue to improve. He stays healthy. You know, Ennis Cantor and Daniel Tyson, things of that nature. But when you think when you think about the other three top teams in the Eastern Conference, the Milwaukee Bucks who have Giannis and Brooke Lopez in the paint, the Toronto Raptors who have Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka and those guys waiting in the paint, and also, and also, you got the Philadelphia 76ers potentially with Joel Embiid, Al Horford in the paint. You don't, you don't, you don't strike that as a concern moving forward, going possibly going into the playoffs uh, this season as, as a as a concern for possibly knocking you guys off from winning the championship. Yeah, I mean for sure. I mean if you think about it, I mean the two biggest weaknesses for the team is you know their lack of uh, bench depth and their their size. I mean of course, like you have. I remember the first game of the year when they had Ennis Cantor guarding Embiid. He actually held Embiid to, uh, I think, only like a few points, like six to eight points, like uh, not that great of shooting. I think that, you know, the biggest concern for me would be would be Giannis in the box. I mean, they are just, you know, yeah. their their wingspan, their height is just unbelievable. Like they have uh, DiVincenzo they had starting, Middleton, uh Giannis, Wesley Matthews, I believe, started, and then you got Brooke Lopez, and you got Robin Lo- Robin Lopez, his brother, coming off the bench. And you just have so many guys in that lineup that are just long, lengthy, super just tall-ass lineup. They just have so many big guys in their lineup, and that, that would be a concern. I think, you know, the Celtics played Milwaukee the other night, and they lost by seven. I think what it would come down to when it comes to a series like that, when they have the size – Milwaukee allows the least amount of points in, in the paint. Right. Um, and that was obviously the Celtics really couldn't get much going in the paint. Tatum was missing a lot of layups. Guys are missing a lot of uh, bunnies at the rim. They, they just had, like I said, they have so much length in the paint. It's just hard to get by those guys. If the Celtics 
can if it becomes it's going to become a shootout. It's going to become a game where it's going to come down to you having to hit your shots. And what we saw against Milwaukee the first game, not a lot of us were hitting our shots, and especially Jason Tatum. I mean, he shot two for oh, yeah. seven, two for seventeen, two for eighteen. But realistically, he only hit one shot because the first shot that they gave to him was an accidental tip-in from the Bucks. Uh, so he really only hit one shot. If, you know, Tatum hits half of those shots, not even half those shots, the Celtics can come out of that game with a win. Mm. I mean, I can – and Brown, I think he shot six for 15. He really didn't have a great game either. Neither did Hayward. They all shot below their averages. Marcus Smart, Brad Wanamaker, those types of guys stepped up. But you can't count on those guys being there when our stars aren't playing as well as they are. Right. Um, we can talk about, you know, the ending of the game and how, how the refs kind of you know, <laughs> helped Milwaukee out there. Yeah, that's six foul, right? <laughs> yeah, that's six. I mean, he really had eight or something like that if we want if we really want to be honest here. But, you know, I don't like blaming it on the refs. I mean, it's not really fair. I mean, did the Celtics really deserve to win that game? I mean, they went down early. They went down a lot so early, and they had to fight their way back in. Tatum had – arguably the worst game of his career. It took Brown until the second half to really get going. I mean, the Bucks should have realistically won that game. I mean, I made I made a, uh, a prediction. I wrote an article about my eight-game prediction for the Celtics, so, you know, their, what their record would be after the regular season games. And I had them losing to Milwaukee. So it's not something that shocked me. You know, I expected them to lose. It was just, you know, the manner in which they lost is pretty annoying. But it also showed me, hey, we lost by seven points with all that stuff happening. Tatum having one of the worst games of his career. We only lost by seven points. Like, you know, that's not something to be too upset about. It's like, it could have been a lot worse. Um, Of course, the height. I really, I mean, Marcus Saul, Serge Ibaka, I'm not trying to downplay them at all, but I'd be more concerned about the Embiid Horford and the the Giannis and just the Lopez brothers, the Bucks big men. I'd be more concerned about them um, than the Raptors, even though I think the Toronto is just playing on another level right now, I think that people should consider them have, you know, think more highly of them as far as being contenders, because I, I love what they've done with the team. Uh, you know, they lost their finals MVP, Kawhi Leonard, and they really didn't gain too much. They didn't lose much, but they didn't gain anything really. And, you know, they're the second best team in the Eastern conference record wise. And they're just playing on, an, they're playing like a title contender. They beat the Lakers the other day. They beat the heat yesterday. Um, I love what they're doing. But I'm more concerned about uh, Milwaukee and what they have going on. It's because it's going to come down to, like I said, you have to hit your shots against uh, a team like that. And if you're not hitting your shots, it's probably not going to go into your favor. But who knows? Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I say, you know, I, I'm fine with what they have now. Would I like an upgrade over someone like Ennis Cantor? I don't even know if Ennis Cantor will be on the team next year. But that that's for that's another discussion for another day. Um, but you would I would I like someone like Jared Allen on the team? Absolutely. Like I think Jared Allen just brings a whole other dynamic to the game. Plays amazing defense. He's like we want to talk about length and someone like uh, being able to block shots and protect the rim. Like that's Jared Allen. Like he is just. Um, I was watching the Nets play yesterday. Like he's making he's blocking shots, like extending his arm up like above the rim. Like he's just swatting everything. Then he runs up the court and gets. Um, a fancy layup to go. He got uh, an and one layup to go, and it's just like he's so dynamic. He's so uh, he's someone that the Celtics would definitely covet. He would definitely be very very valuable playing the big man for this team. Um, so I mean, that's something that the Celtics should keep an eye on moving forward. Like you know, how can they upgrade their 
players in that in that sense. You know, that's something that every GM should be looking at. Like, how can you upgrade? You know, I'd say weakest link. I'm not trying to say say Daniel Tice is a weak link, but you know, and in, in comparison to the starting lineup, exactly. he's he would be the weak link. Right. So it's like, how can you upgrade that? And you know, as a GM, you have to look at things like that. But I just don't think um, that's the biggest concern for the team at the time. Okay. Yeah, I I, w- I would agree with you as well. For Milwaukee to beat Milwaukee you're going to have to hit uh, three-point shots. They're actually, you know, below average in the NBA and guarding the three-point line. So if they have one noticeable weakness, I think it's the three-point line that we have to um, obviously uh, be able to capitalize on. And Tatum's not going to go two for 16 or two for 18 again. Kemba was in a minute restriction. So uh, I think Boston should have their heads held high um, on that Milwaukee loss and, I agree with you. Toronto is definitely a team to um, – I think they're a title contender, but that, that's just my opinion um, here as well. Um, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, uh, Dante, I want to talk to you about the restart and what you've seen with the Celtics in the first two games and uh, moving on forward. So uh, we'll be right back on a quick commercial break here. And we are back here inside the studios at WNSC. We've got Dante back with us again, um, talking Celtics hoops, um, Boston Celtics beat writer here uh, with us for sure. So we've got the Bucks. We took an L on that one, but we beat the Blazers, uh, uh, Dante. We went up 24, but gave up a big lead. And we know when that backcourt of CJ and Dame get cooking, uh, you know, they, they can erupt at any given moment. But um, Gary Trent, huge off the bench, 18 points. Um, but the Celtics obviously prevailed behind 64 from the two Jays and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So uh, what have you seen in these first two games and what should we expect moving on forward as the postseason looms? Yeah, I think so far, I mean, obviously we got a little bit into the Bucks. Uh I think for the Celtics to be competitive, the Celtics to be, um, you know, the contenders that we believe they are, we need them to be playing at their full strength. We need them to play their best games uh, against the Bucks, Brown, Tatum, Hayward, all shot below their averages. We, we need to be healthy as well. I mean, Kemba Walker was on immense restriction and he was one of the best players on the court for the Celtics. And unfortunately we couldn't keep them in uh, during clutch time when it would have been nice to have him on the court. So getting Kemba back healthy, is going to be absolutely huge for the Celtics. But against the Trailblazers, I mean, this is a bounce-back game. If you could ever, you know, if you could ever say there's a bounce-back game, this would be it for Tatum. I mean, he had five points the first game, and then he had 34 points, eight assists, four rebound shots. It's, it's the hair, five, wasn't it? It's the hair, wasn't it? It's the hair. <laughs> I, as soon as I saw the buzz cut, I was just like, okay, like, those curls had no buckets in them. Like this is this is what we needed. And I was never a fan of the haircut personally, so I was pretty. Uh, when he when he shaved it off, I was like, okay, like this this feels right. Like this is this is where we need to be at. Um, Tatum had thirty four. Jalen had thirty, and I mean, he had 17, 16, 17 points in the fourth quarter. They were up by twenty four, like you mentioned. And then all of a sudden, the Trailblazers just started battling back in uh, CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard. Uh, they just 
were going off. They were going crazy in the second half. I mean, and when you have uh, those two guys going off, it's just kind of like, like, what can you do? Especially when it's Damian Lillard. He had 30 points. It was just like, it's just you watching that happen. And it's just like, what the hell can you do here? But obviously the Celtics still continued to fight. Um, they went down by a little bit. They went down by three or four at one point, but then, you know, they got the lead back. They ended up winning by four points. Kemba Walker, I think, is what we need to – I mean, he had 14 points, only played 22 minutes. But in the two games that he's played, he has been so efficient. He has been doing just Kemba Walker things in the limited minutes that he has. And, you know, they looked really good against Portland, besides blowing the lead, of course. They looked they looked like a team that can compete with the Bucs, even though they lost by seven points. But we had – we barely had Kemba Walker in both those games. We're still not at full strength. I think once this team is at full strength, you have your four, you have your four best guys out there. Um, that's when we're really going to see what the Celtics can do because, and I've been saying this too, like the starting, the main five, Kemba, Jalen, Jason, Hayward, and Smart, they've only played together for like 13, 14 games a season. And it's just because of that, you know, it's affected our bench. Like I mentioned, Marcus Smart had to start a lot of games in the year because when when the Celtics were down a man, Marcus Smart had to come in and step up, and that made our bench worse. Now, if you have everyone that's healthy, all these top four guys healthy, Brad Stevens can kind of work with the lineups, the rotations, and kind of be like, okay, you're going to – let's we'll take out Hayward and Brown, but we'll keep Tatum and Kemba in, and then we'll take Tatum and Kemba out, and we'll throw back in Hayward or Brown, like – We'll always have one of those four players in at all times, I would imagine. So that would help a lot with the bench, the lack of scoring there, mm-hmm. and just keeping the foot on the foot on the gas pedal, and just you know not having to lose out on losing any offense, losing any points, or allowing another team to go on a run. Um, I've been, you know, I'm pretty optimistic. I'm a, you could say I'm an optimistic Celtics fan. Like I, I don't like I call them out when they need to be called out, but I also like looking at the bigger picture, and I look looking at like being optimistic about things, taking the good out of things. And so far, I think the Celtics have been, I think they've looked great so far in their first two games. Um, Milwaukee, they lost by seven, but they fought back. They stayed in it. You know, you can say what you want about the ending of the game, but that was a game that the Celtics definitely could have won. Um, They they blew their lead to Portland, but they showed that they they continue to fight. They continue to stay in the game and came out with a W. Um, they're playing Miami today. They're coming off the back-to-back. And Miami, to me, is one of my sleeper teams heading into the playoffs because I just think I love their roster from top to bottom. I love what Pat Riley, Eric Spolster has done with the team. I think Eric Spolster is one of the most underrated coaches in oh, the yeah. NBA. I would agree. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's like you have Jimmy Butler. You have one star. I mean, one real star in Jimmy Butler. Bam Adebayo is an all-star. Um, but then you're, you're filled from top to bottom. you got shooters. You got Duncan Robinson, who's already considered uh, one of the best shooters in the entire league. You have Tyler Hero, who I was so upset when um, when he went drafted. He got drafted 13th overall, and I we, the Celtics had the 14th pick, and I wanted Tyler Hero so bad. I did too. He is yep. He is just like he's not only a great shooter, but he is just just such a dynamic player all around. I was watching him play yesterday, and he was making you know tough layups, clutch shots. Like he was just coming up big for the heat when it was towards uh, the end of the game and they needed more buckets from him. He is just someone that can come in and just provide that spark for a team. And then you got veterans, you got Iguodala, you got Goran Dragic, you got Udonis Haslam, Jay Crowder, 
Kelly the clinical Olenek. People don't like Kelly Olenek, but he had 20 points in the fourth quarter the other day for yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, you got Kendrick Nunn, who, I mean, he's a 24, 25-year-old rookie, just came out of nowhere. And Myers Leonard, another guy that can spread the floor for you, another big body. I just think they have not the best, but I, I'd consider them having one of the best lineups or best rosters in the NBA because it's just kind of like, all right, you got your – your star in Jimmy Butler, who Jimmy Butler, I mean, we all know who he is. He's going to push his teammates to, you know, levels that they think that they couldn't, they can't reach. I mean, he'll push everyone to be at their best every game. Um, I've always been a big Goran Dragic fan, personally. Um, you got him, Kendrick Nunn, Butler, Hero, Robinson, Iguodala. Then you got Bam, Myers, Leonard, Kelly Olenek down in the paint, Jay Crowder. I mean, they just have so many guys that they could work with and just come in and get them points or get them defensive stops. Like, they're just built. They are a. They're going to be a tough team to play against. I. I mean, if the Celtics go up against them, I'm. I'm confident that the Celtics will be able to handle them in a seven game series. It's just like, they will make a team work for every one of their wins. They will make them work for that series win. I mean, and and they're a team that could take the best of the best to six seven games. I would love to see Miami go up against Milwaukee in the second round of the playoffs yeah. because I think that would just be such a fun matchup. And I think it would just tire the Bucks out. I mean, I think the Bucks would win it, but I think it would just like really get them tired out going into that Eastern Conference Finals matchup with whoever it would be at that point. Um, and that's just the type of team that they are. They're just super well equipped. They're well coached. They they complement each other well. And I think that they're a team that you know they're set up for the future. Whether they want to grow with their with their young core with you know Hero Robinson. Adebayo, uh, Kendrick Nunn, or, you know, they could package some of those guys together and get another superstar. I know Victor Oladipo has been someone that um, has been tied to the heat a little bit, and I heard that they want to go after Giannis when he's a free agent. So that's something they could do when that time comes. But, you know, I think Miami's in a great spot right now, and uh, they're going to – I think they can make a little run in the playoffs. They can make some noise for sure. Yeah, I, I would agree as well. Um, I'd love to see that that Milwaukee and in Miami series that could potentially go seven, uh, oh. just because I think physically and mentally, Spolster and Riley can come up with a game plan to kind of offset what they do. Um, Bam Adebayo is a big guy inside, and we've seen the Heat right now are two and one in the season against the Milwaukee Bucks, and Bam actually gives a couple problems. He's a guy that's really pretty agile and has the foot speed to keep up with Giannis, but also has the girth and the size as well. Um, to uh, match up with them pound for pound. So I think that's going to be a really good matchup if that happens uh, there for sure. But um, the Celtics are 2-0 and against the Heat this year, so I think that bodes well for us. Go ahead and wrap it up with us, Mike. Yeah, Dante, what's, you, you talked about the, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat matchup as being your dream matchup to watching the playoffs. What's that one team that you would love to see the Boston Celtics go up against in the Eastern Conference that would be like a dream matchup for you to, that you want to see the Celtics go up against? Well, as a dream matchup, I mean, I think this is something that we will see. I would love to go up against the Toronto Raptors, mm. and they are a team that could absolutely beat the Celtics in a seven-game series, but vice versa. Celtics are also a team that could absolutely beat the Raptors in a seven-game series. And I think whoever comes out of that series with, you know, whoever wins that series and has to go up against the Eastern Conference Finals uh, matchup because considering all right so let's say the Celtics they win the first round they say they go up against the Pacers or something we'll assume that they 
they win that series and they go on to the second round. We're assuming the Raptors win their series. So we'll see them in the second round. Well, hypothetically, whoever wins that series is going to have so much confidence and have so much momentum going into the Eastern Conference Finals because Celtics being the Raptors, beating a team that a lot of people might consider a title contender. I know uh, you guys said that, you know, the Raptors should be considered, you know, on that tier. They can be considered title contenders. Um, They beat a team of that caliber. That gives the team so much confidence that they can go into the next round against Milwaukee and just beat them. And same with Toronto. I mean, obviously, I want the Celtics to win, but I think it would be pretty cool seeing Toronto uh, make it back to the finals, even with, you know, losing Kawhi and all and all the storylines like, oh, they won't be as good as they were last year. They're actually better right now with their record than they were when they had Kawhi at, uh, at this point, like game wise, obviously not this point in the year because it's August and we weren't playing basketball in August. But record wise, they're better right now than they were record wise last year when they had Kawhi. So if they've been doing extremely well for themselves without him. Um, but I would love to play the Raptors because we beat them twice this year. They beat us once. We play them again on Friday, actually. So we'll get a little a little taste there. Um maybe a little playoff preview on Friday, but I would love to play them because beating them would be like, it's not like you're beating a magic or a Nets team. Like, you know, it's a team that you expect to beat. It's like you play Toronto, you're going to work for that win and beating them would be just so sad. Uh, just such a satisfaction feeling. Like it would just be great for the team, great for their confidence. And it would just really set the tone for them going into the Eastern conference finals. Yeah. I would agree with that as well. I, I think a series like, a guy like Nick Nurse, who's uh, quickly becoming one of the premium coaches in the NBA. And then, you know, a team like the Raptors prepares them to go up against a Giannis or a, a Milwaukee team or maybe a Miami Heat team. So uh, I would agree with you. The Raptors matchup, it would be one that the Celtics could look forward to. And if they can get over that hurdle, that's going to be one that um, prepares them mentally and physically. Um in a brutal series like that to go up against Giannis or potentially Jimmy Butler in the Miami Heat. But um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's definitely been insightful to having you on with us today and enlighten us with a lot of knowledge and things of that nature. Before you leave us, obviously, uh, tell us everybody where they can find you and uh, moving on forward. Um, hopefully we give you all the props and what your endeavors moving on forward as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys for having me on again. I I, uh, I had a blast. Well, I know we talked about uh, doing this for a little bit, but we'll definitely have to uh, we'll definitely have to do this again, especially when the Celtics maybe are, are deep into the playoffs, hopefully, or when we get the playoffs going. But you can, uh, for everyone listening, my name is Dante Toro. You can follow me on Twitter at Dante on Deck. There, you can really just find everything you need to know about me. I have the um, the Twitter accounts, the Twitter handles for both my podcasts, Chasing Banners, Hoops Caviar. Uh, Chasing Banners is just um, me and my buddy Ryan. We do both of them. But Chasing Banners is just all Celtics. Uh, We're actually going to be recording later today before uh, the game against Miami Heat. And Hoops Caviar is just all basketball related, not just Celtics, just everything in the world of basketball. And then um, you can find the link to my blog as well on my Twitter account. And, yeah, just follow me. If you follow me, I'm always posting NBA Celtics content videos, uh, everything, all highlights talking. I usually live tweet Celtics games. So I'm very active uh, during the Celtics games, but yeah, that's where you can follow me and find everything. And thank you guys again for having me on. No doubt, man. No doubt. It's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to have you with you guys. Today. And when we come back, Mike and I, we wrap up things. The seven podcast radio show live.
And we are back here to wrap things up on our third and final segment here on the show, Mike. And I was in line to you, Mike. The kid knows his stuff. The kid really knows his stuff. Oh, yeah. He's got a bright future. Um, and, and I think anybody in the uh, Boston Celtics organization should definitely take a really good look at this guy. Yeah, yeah definitely. Anytime you get an opportunity to, to, to soak up knowledge from people inside of organizations, inside of the teams that you're covering, and really get the inside of what's really going on from the local media and perspectives, uh, it's always it's always great to hear from, from those kind of people because those, because those are the ones that are, you know, with the, the players and with the organization on an everyday basis. And, you know, it's just, it's just dope to, to soak up game from him. Yeah, he knows what he's talking about. And, and definitely good luck to him with all his future endeavors. Yeah, good luck to him for sure. He's, you could call him the, the plug. They, they got the inside scoop to everything that's going on. And he surely does in Beamtown there for sure. All best of luck to Dante himself and also to the Celtics and their postseason run. Um, to wrap things up here, Mike, um, our last segment today, uh, the coach of the year. We thought I thought it was actually pretty quick, um, but the NBA announced that they're only going to start giving awards up to March 11th, pre-quarantine and uh, before coronavirus hit. So um, coach of the year awards, we had co-coaches of the year this year. We had Billy Donovan of the Thunder. This is a Thunder team that both Mike and I, we picked as a lottery team. And look now, don't look now, there's fifth seed or sixth seed in the Western Conference in a loaded Wild, wild Western Conference behind Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and Schroeder as well. That three-headed guard um, combo has given problems to every team in that Western Conference. Schroeder himself is the sixth man of the year candidate as well. Um, So Billy Donovan has done a great job with that. And also Mike Boonhoser as well with the Milwaukee Bucks. Back-to-back for him. He won it last year and won it again this year um, as well. But Nick Nurse just lucked out. Uh, missing a vote shy away. So what do you make of the Coach of the Year awards and, and your first thoughts on that? I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm actually happy happy for both uh, Billy Donovan and uh, Mike Budenholzer because they both deserve it. You know, Billy Donovan caught a lot of flack, you know, um, coaching Oklahoma City Thunder, people wondering if he was the guy, you know, in his first year when Kevin, Kevin Durant's last year, all the way up until now. And you see what he was able to do with those players and how he was able to galvanize the troops and, Really put together a system and, and 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 manage all those egos where everybody was able to come together and, and enjoy. You know, with the acquisition of Chris Paul, we thought this team was going on the downslide. It actually did the exact opposite. He's elevated this team and elevated the the play of the of the, the, the good young guys. Like you said, Shea Gildas Alexander is an emerging star in this league. And like you said, doing Dennis Schroeder, what he's done off the bench this year is amazing. He's showing why he's he he used to be a starter in this league for a long time. And uh, you know. Uh, but Mike Budenholzer, the fact that they've dominated two straight regular seasons uh, in the NBA and they continue to have the best record in the league overall for a second straight year in the regular season, that's, that's special. And um, we'll, we'll see if he's able to do in the playoffs this year. Definitely there for sure. Although, I, I, I don't know. I thought Nick Nurse was the deserving of it. You got a team that lost Kawhi, um, you know, and I would thought they would have been a sixth or fifth seed in the East, and they haven't missed a beat. They, they, in fact, last three or four seasons, they've been the two seed um, with Drew Casey at helm and, of course, with Nick Nurse. Um, with DeRozan, Lowry, they haven't missed a beat. They get Kawhi's second seed. They make it to the finals. They win the finals. And this year, without them, they remain at that same spot. So, you know, when you talk about some of the teams that's and the better organizations that's run, you got to put the Raptors up there from executive 
from management, from coaching staff to head coach and to the players, the Toronto Raptors is as good as it gets. And uh, I thought Nick Nurse should have been in that, uh, should have probably got that along with uh, Billy Donovan for coach of the year. Um, even John Jenkins, a, a guy, from, Mike Jenkins, excuse me, uh, from the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies was a team that didn't had no business being where they're at right now in contention for the eighth seed out West with a young John Morant and Jaron Jackson as their core pillar players moving on forward. But, you know, uh, they made it and they made it in Western Conference ahead of teams like the Pelicans, the Blazers, the the Kings, the, uh, the, the San Antonio Spurs. So um, I thought those two guys as well, Mike, deserved uh, recognition to potentially get that award too. They absolutely deserve it. And every every year you're going to have those one or two coaches that should have been in the conversation or should have been right there, could have been part of the co-coach of the years or could have actually been the coach of the year. But uh, it's, it's so many it's so many teams, man. Somebody's always going to get left out. And unfortunately, like like you said, for Nick Nurse, he definitely deserves it because what he's been able to do without Kawhi Leonard and, and galvanizing these troops and, and having these this, – this Toronto Raptors team just does like such a well-cohesive unit. And you have to give credits to Nick Nurse and what they're doing over there in Toronto. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. What Memphis is doing, they were one of my teams that could potentially be a lottery team. I picked two this year, and now look what they're doing. They're in contention to make the playoffs with the young John Moran and Jaron Jackson Jr. and those guys. So it's, it's special what we're seeing from those two teams. And it's always there. You know, this year they just happen to be the two that were on the the the, the last two out as, as far as concerned. But every year there's always going to be somebody left out or a couple coaches left out that really could have. You, you can make an argument they could have won it. Yeah, definitely there for sure. I think that wraps it us for our episode today. Uh, Mike, any last quick hitters for you? Yeah, definitely, man. You know, my, I, I, MLB, everything that's going on with MLB, is heavy. I'm worried that they're going to shut down real soon. I see it happening. I see it coming soon. Uh, I don't like what I'm saying as far as, you know, how they mismanaged this whole process and, and not taking not done their due diligence as far as taking care of the players. Because, what you know, you have the situation in Florida. You have it so bad that teams don't even want to go to Miami and Florida to play the Marlins or anything of that nature. And then you have other organizations possibly getting uh, the, the, the virus inside of their facilities. And it's just it's – just, it's, it's been very mismanaged by the uh, Major League Baseball. And I see, I see a, a huge possibility of them shutting down within the next couple of weeks or so. I, I agree, too. See, that's the sport that I think that you can do a bubble format for. You can't do it with the NFL – too much players uh, uh the rosters are 53 plus you can't do that but in baseball you could do that I, I, and, and they talked about arizona and florida being the two states where they can have a bubble format in not sure why they didn't do that i thought they mismanaged this this is malpractice uh, um in the hands of rob manfred and all the officials of the mlb because they didn't do what they needed to do in the embetterment of the players, the coaching staff and all you got. Now you got this, the Cardinals, the Phillies, the Marlins uh, contaminated with this, you know, disease right now that is coronavirus. And opponents don't want to go in their building and play against them. And other teams don't want to play against the players. And so I think they mismanaged this really bad. And I thought baseball, now that's a sport you could do an actual bubble format for. You know, you got about what? 10 12 players on the field you got about seven or eight in a dugout in your clubhouse as well along with the managers and the coaching staff you could do that i, I didn't understand why they didn't do a bubble format for that but um yeah they, they are in jeopardy of, of canceling the season for sure no def- definitely man it's, it was definitely mismanaged you got the dudes traveling 
you got these teams traveling all over the country. It's just, it, just, it just doesn't seem right. And right. When you do have situations like this, you see the results. You see how it looks, man. It looks it looks bad for the MLB right now. And um, you know, hopefully they can get back on track and figure something out. But I, I don't see I don't see it as being likely at all. It's already a condensed season with sixty games. It, it just doesn't it just doesn't seem like it's it's going too well if they continue. And I see them shutting down real soon. Yeah, for sure. For all the bickering. And all the talks that the NBA got, they've done a phenomenal job, Mike, uh, with, with testing, daily testing with coronavirus. Um, a page that maybe the MLB should take from the NBA for sure. And I, and that, I, and I, and I ain't gonna lie to you, Seppi. I have to, I have to give credit to the NBA because I was one of the players that was questioning how they were gonna do this or whether or not they were gonna, you know, be, uh, keep the players safe and things of that nature. But so far, so good. I know it's still early. You know, it's still it's still a, long, a few more months to be played, but so far I'm really loving what I'm seeing from the NBA, and they like one of the the few organizations of, of the top sporting organizations that have actually done the 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 use proper protocols as far as making sure these players are safe. Yeah, definitely for sure. Huge, huge, huge kudos. Got to go to Chris Paul, head of NBA PA management, and and also Adam Silver, the owners. You know, anytime when the owners put money in any investments. Something's got to go good. The Seven Podcast Radio Show. We'll see you guys next time. Hey, everyone. We're excited just as much as you guys tonight if you enjoyed this show. And frankly, even some of our other episodes as well. If you want to show your appreciation for the show, ensure that you leave us a rating and a review in our itunes and spotify and remember you can stay locked in here and connected sevipodcast.info link for the latest news articles interviews and much more and remember wherever you're listening on air or online the sevipodcast is wherever you go